With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at MileHighReport.com. And now it's time to get to work. Welcome back to the Mile High Report Radio Podcast with Adam Malnati and me in St. Clair. And it's actually kind of different. For the first time in four weeks, we will be talking about a Broncos win. Yay. But that 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 poses a question. Has Vance Joseph been fired yet? No, he has not. Why not? Uh, because they won. Because they won. If they don't win that game, then we're not we're having a totally different conversation right now. If they don't win that game, so. But does it really change anything, though? I mean, no. I, I know we've you mentioned it on Twitter to to preview a the preview. podcast. Sure. It doesn't really change anything, though, does it? No. No, it, it no. It's like you said before we started. It's delaying the inevitable. It's it's waiting another week or two. It's pushing it back to the bye week. I I just or or pushing it back to the end of the season. Even I mean maybe that's so they give Vance Joseph the enti- his entire second season to see if he can turn it around. If they kick around and bounce around and end up staying five hundred or, or a little bit below five hundred, is that improvement enough for him to keep his job? There's so many variables here, but but nothing has changed. We're still all sitting here waiting for the hammer to drop. 
even even at 45 to 10, we're still waiting for the phone call, you know, it's, it's coming. So I mentioned to you prior to us recording that I was going to drop a question on you that you weren't expecting. So here it comes. Uh-oh. I mentioned this in the winners and the losers. Mm-hmm. While Denver looked great, it's right to question how credible this win really is. So the question was this just a desert mirage giving us all false hope that this team is finding its way out of a, fo- a football wasteland or is it sustainable? I think this is my own opinion. Obviously I think that um, if you're asking me if they can continue to win, they have the talent on this roster to continue to win. And I, I think I saw, uh, earlier today, one of the articles, and I can't remember who wrote it, but there was, you know, one of the quotes from uh, Larry Fitzgerald was to Chris Harris Jr. He said, "You guys are better than your record," and he, he's probably right, talent-wise. The Denver Broncos, as as a, as a team, have enough talent to be, you know, to be undefeated, really, or to be, you know, five and two, or or what what have you, right? They they should have a better record than they do all than they do right now, talent-wise. And so is it a mirage? I don't think it has to be, but I think some things have to continue to change. And and maybe we saw some of those changes uh, in Arizona. Maybe we saw the defense uh, sort of something clicked, right? Uh, playing a, a rookie quarterback with a bad offensive line and, uh, you know, not as many weapons and, and maybe their best weapon being the old uh, Larry Fitzgerald, who is clearly on his way out at this point. Uh, because of his age, maybe that's the the perfect remedy, right? There's your medicine. There's the salve. There's the ointment you put on the burn. But is it gonna is it gonna fix it right away? Probably not. And you know, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but eventually we're gonna be talking about the next game, which is the Kansas City Chiefs. Who, I mean, let's face it, they went into Foxborough and looked like they were gonna lose badly, and then turned that into a real game. And Bill Belichick had to. And Tom Brady had to pull some stuff out of their backside to get that win. So it's probably a mirage based mostly on who they've got coming up more than anything else. The thing that I mentioned on my segment on Friday on Orange and Blue 760 on first and 10 at 10 with Ryan Edwards, Andrew Mason, and Steve Atwater and I was asked that I was basically asked the same question that I just asked you. And there are, to me, there are two ways that this is sustainable. The way they run the football and the way the orange rush has basically dominated the last two weeks, the way Bradley Chubb and Vaughn Miller have completely taken over games the last two weeks I mean, that pass rush is the reason they had a shot against the Rams. That's why it was 23-20. Aside from the fact that Sean McVay should have never stopped running the football. But the way Bradley Chubb has played the last two weeks is incredible. On top of the way Von Miller played against the Cardinals to back up what he said the Broncos were going to do to the Cardinals. And to me, those are the those are the two ways that it's sustainable. Continue to run the football. 
and continue to allow Von Miller and Bradley Chubb to take over games because you can't block both of them. Von Miller leads the NFL right now with seven and a half sacks. Bradley Chubb is fourth in the NFL with six and a half sacks. The 14 sacks between them is more than the New England Patriots and the and the Oakland Raiders. That's and over the last two weeks, you know that. Over the last two weeks, Miller and Chubb have combined for eight and a half sacks, 13 quarterback hits, seven and a half tackles for loss, two forced fumbles, and a fumble recovery. When you add Shaquille Barrett to the mix, the numbers jump to nine and a half sacks, 14 quarterback hits, and eight and a half tackles for loss. That's how you beat Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas and the Kansas City Chiefs. That's how you make this sustainable. The big part of it is offensively and Bill Musgrave with the running game. Because I joked on Twitter that the Broncos could win this game by three or more touchdowns, and Bill Musgrave will find a way to still throw the ball more than he'll run it. Because that's the way it seemed like it was going to go in the second half. That's how he does things. He likes to throw the ball. Eh, he's an so old quarterback. I, I, I think that those are the two ways that it's sustainable. Because right. on top of the pass rush, that that takes the pressure off the secondary to cover as long as they have to. Because the quarterback doesn't have time to th- doesn't have time to to make plays or run around, especially against the Chiefs if Chubb and Miller hold containment on the edge and not allow him to go all Fran Tarkenton. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think that actually goes back to the idea of talent. Uh, I mean, the talent that is on this team is better than their record suggests. And what you're, what you're saying is you're using logic, which is uh, what I've found uh, over the last few years is sometimes when you use logic, you lose people because they don't know what logic is, but you're using logic that states if you get after the quarterback like they did against uh, the Rams and and like they did against the, the Cardinals and it's sort of incessantly against the Cardinals, then you have a shot, right? You have an opportunity. If you're disrupting what the quarterback is doing, then you have a shot to win the game. And if you can create an offensive game plan that plays to your strengths, like running the football, then you should be able to win games. That's that's the the recipe right there. So is it sustainable? Yeah, absolutely it's sustainable. But what you're asking the team to do is something that they haven't done all season, and that's put together a game plan that actually does those things. Now, the one thing I will tell you is Von Miller had disappeared for a couple weeks, and you called him out pretty early on that, and I was I was a little hesitant. Um, I, I don't. Know I was this. actually one of the first people you, to do it. Absolutely were, and I and I I did. I said I'm not ready to go with you on that. But but clearly, looking at what happened in Arizona uh, on Thursday night football. He he was leaving something in the tank, or he wasn't he wasn't a hundred percent, and he's now getting back to as close to a hundred percent as you can be in the National Football League halfway through a season, and so his his proclamation, right, his his declaration of we're going to go to Arizona and we're gonna we're gonna lay the wood to these guys, we're gonna you know kick them in the behind. They followed through on that. It wasn't just words. There was action that came with those words. So they talked the talk, they walked the walk. But 
you got to wonder, where was all that walking beforehand? Was it just that they weren't, they, they weren't motivated? Was it that they didn't have, uh, you know, that they didn't have the, you know, the want or the desire to win? I don't know. It seemed, it seemed like some of those guys had disappeared. Was it a problem with coaching where they disagreed with what the coaches were doing to the point where they didn't want to run the plays that were being called? And you've heard me talk about this before. Uh, if I'm a pitcher, I would rather throw the wrong pitch that I want to throw than the right pitch that I'm not comfortable throwing. And is that something that's been happening with the Broncos as well? Have they been, you know, putting them, calling, maybe calling the right plays on defense, but it's the wrong, it doesn't feel right to the defensive players, and so they don't play it right? Or, or is it just that they are, they didn't have the desire to win. And so when Von Miller came out and said, we're going to, we're going to win, right? I mean, he didn't necessarily say we're going to win, but he did say, you know, right. He did tell the journalists to write it down. Hey guys, don't get out your pencils. Are you, are you listening? You know, he told them to write it down and he said they were going to, they were going to win the game. Essentially. That's what he said. He, he challenged his teammates and he challenged himself. And the person who stepped up the biggest in that game was Von Miller. But he, but the whole defense was all over the place in that game. That was that was huge. That was a, a huge moment for for them, and you know maybe they can maybe they can carry that into Kansas City. I I will say this: it's better that they take that in into Kansas City in October than in December, for obvious reasons. Of course, the thing that I that that gives me at least some confidence or hope or Uh whatever it is that they could actually go into Kansas city. Is that, is that swagger from Von Miller, but also the way he played and also the way that Bradley Chubb has played. Patrick Smythe tweeted that Chubb's six and a half sacks this year tie for the sixth most in NFL history by a rookie through seven games. Chubb's five sacks in the last two games tie for the third most in NFL history for any two-game span by a rookie. Wow. It's the most since... Any guesses? Ooh, how big do I want to go with this? Uh, The most since Von Miller. The most since Elvis Doomerville. Ooh, wrong Bronco. Denver in 2006. Dang it. That, see, so I, I was I was between three guys. I was between Vaughn, Elvis, and then I was, maybe maybe it was such a big stat that it was Lawrence Taylor. I was like, oh, maybe it's LT. Mm, that's a pretty big name as well. But I, it's okay. I digress. So as I'm wearing my orange Russ Rush shirt. Yes, you are. The Broncos can ride that orange Rush wave into Kansas City and use it to wreck Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. But we'll get into that next week. That's another that's another podcast. We'll um, plop it out there and expect oh, it to perform next ooh, Tuesday. And it just clicked in my head that I should have said that. And then you said it. And I I I should have said it. I should have said it. The door was open. I could have Kool-Aid man my way through that wall uh and to Pay a little homage to Andy Reid there. Kool-Aid man through a wall. Um, but, oh, yeah. <laughs> but I didn't. I didn't. Um, 
You know, just to kind of continue the recap of the game, though, it was I, I did like the inventiveness of the play calling. I loved the Emmanuel Sanders throw to Cortland Sutton. If it hadn't worked, I probably would have hated it, right? But I, I liked that there was some of that going on. And then to continue to see Philip Lindsay be, I, I don't know, what's the word? What are the superlatives that we can continue to use for him? Because there's, it's overused now. He's he is a, a legitimate starting running back in the NFL. I got it for you. You ready for it? Sure, I'd love to hear it. Filthy. Oh, oh, I see. I see what you did because his name is Philip, so he's filthy. I like it. He is filthy. He's filthy. He's nasty, and he 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 doesn't avoid contact. That was the thing I noticed about him against against the Cardinals. He doesn't avoid contact. He sidesteps at times, right? He's got he's he's shifty. He's got moves, but if you get in his way, he'll truck you. He'll throw he'll throw a little right cross if necessary. Uh, he he uh, threw one at Patrick Peterson on his way out of bounds on one run. Uh, I I like it. I I like this kid a lot. I was I wish they would give the ball to Royce Freeman more, but I guess he picked up a bit of a knock. So, you know, it's working out for him. What makes it even better for Philip Lindsay is that he's doing it in Terrell Davis's number thirty. That's what makes it even a little bit better, I think. Sure, yeah, it gives you the it, it gives you the feels, right? He's a Colorado kid who went to Colorado, who idolized Terrell Davis growing up, and now he's doing a lot of the things that, let's face it, Terrell Davis did things like that. Those one cut and goes, those those making guys miss, the willingness to run a guy over. It just looks like somebody a little bit shorter is wearing the number, and that's about it. That's the only change you see. So I had Philip Lindsay as a winner. Yes, you did. I also had Emmanuel Sanders as a winner for obvious reasons. But here's a couple of stats that are very interesting. Sanders is the first Denver player since John Elway on September 7th, 1986 against the Raiders. And he's the fourth player in team history to finish with a touchdown catch and pass in the same game. Sanders is also the first receiver in Broncos history to have a touchdown via catch, pass, and run. And he's the ninth player overall in franchise history to have that. See, now you almost want to have him put him back in punt return, see if he can get a punt return for a touchdown, and maybe a kick return for a touchdown, then maybe put him out in coverage at one time, see if he can get an interception return for a touchdown. And then maybe a fumble recovery return for a touchdown. I'm just saying, there's a lot of a lot of ways to score a touchdown. It would be cool if he could do all of them uh, in a single season, but that's that's not going to happen. <laughs> no, none of that's going to happen. And I don't think they should have Philip Lindsay returning punts either, because as Brandon Quinn pointed out, you risk injury. Well, you saw what happened to Deshaun Hamilton, right? That's just talk about crappy luck. And I, and I don't want to say that something is dirty or not because I don't know what someone's intent is. He could, the, the, the special teams player could just be dumb. Well, and he, yeah. he, he didn't know. I, I, I don't want to say that it was deliberate or dirty, but just awful luck for Deshaun Hamilton. Hopefully yeah. it's not as bad as it could be. It's a, It's an MCL sprain for those who don't know. So he's probably going to miss at least a game or two. And while we're on injuries, Royce Freeman has a high ankle sprain. 
there it seems like it's not going to be that bad there is right. still hope that he'll be able to play against the chiefs because they have the mini buy the mini buy darian stewart is i think the unknown at this point since he's had three stingers now apparently yeah in the last couple of weeks are you missing anything with Darian Stewart off the field? I think that's an interesting one. Maybe we'll table that for, for another podcast as well, but that's something to think about. I, I know he's, he's, you know, the old veteran and he kind of knows what's going on, but I, I feel like that may, they, they can probably fill that hole pretty easily. Um, I wanted to list another winner because yeah. we talked about the running game. So the, the two of these tie in together. And I said that my players to watch on defense prior to the Cardinals game were Brandon Marshall and Todd Davis. Todd Davis played the best game of his career against the Arizona Cardinals. He not only had his first career touchdown, he had his first career interception. It's kind of cool that it sort of worked out, right? Same one. (laughs) But he finished with 10 tackles six solo, two passes defended, a tackle for loss, and the Broncos' defense kept the Cardinals under 100 yards rushing. I just wanted the Broncos to keep Arizona under 200. They doubled down. So, and here's the other way that I think that this is sustainable for the defense at least, is when you get six sacks and get those quarterback hits, and so you're pressuring the quarterback, and you create five turnovers. That's They play off of each other, but it also starts with the pressure on the quarterback. Absolutely it does. It absolutely does. And, and, you know, my player to watch was was Domita Pecco uh, on the defensive side of the ball and the interior defensive line. And you just read the stats, and the fact is they did the job. You know, they they bottled up David Johnson – he didn't get a chance to to break out into the open field. They did not allow uh, a hundred yard rusher, which is great. And it it you, like I said before, you can see that the talent is there. The talent is on the team to be good, to be a, a playoff contender, to be a Super Bowl contender. Now it's a matter of can they sustain that? Can they continue to to build on that? And it was good to see them actually step up after two weeks of. Um, you can't even call it mediocrity. Two weeks of sucking. <laughs> you know, I, I was trying to think of an eloquent eloquent way to say that, and I decided against it because they didn't play defense very eloquently, so I went with the ineloquent sucking. That's what they did. They sucked for two weeks. They brought it back. You know, and, and we've said before, the Cardinals aren't exactly a good football team. And so, you know, you sometimes you got to beat the you got to beat the teams in front of you and you have to beat the teams that are bad. You got to beat the teams you're supposed to beat and then try and win the games that maybe you're not supposed to win. So that's that's step 1 right now, right? What is what's your big takeaway before we get into what surprised you the most? What what's your one big takeaway you know, from this for, game? For me and I, I talked about it in the last podcast um, about how this was going to be a week that would show their character, that would show whether or not the Broncos were a contender, whether or not they still cared about the season, or if they were just done. You go down to the desert and you lose to a team like Arizona, and it just shows that the players have they've they've mailed it in. 
but they didn't do that. They they took up the challenge. Von Miller said they were going to go down and, and kick some butt, and they did. They went down and kicked some butt. So the, the big takeaway for me was the fact that this team still has pride in their work. This is not a team that's going to roll over. And, and perhaps there was a little overreaction from the fans. Uh, you know, you lose four games in a row, and your fans are going to start to turn on you a little bit. But let's not forget that these are professionals. These are men who care about the job that they do, and they they took that short week, and they showed that talent-wise, they are one of the best teams in the NFL. And that, to me, was was huge because they could have just said, you know what? After those four weeks, after what happened to us against the Jets and then the Rams, we don't need to do this. We can wait. You know, they could start making some business decisions. You know what I'm saying? They could start deciding, hey, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to stick my nose in there because I don't want to get hurt. I'm going to run out of bounds here because I don't, I, you know, I don't need to look somebody up here because I'm, I don't want to get hurt. But instead, they, they didn't make any business decisions. Their, their decisions were football decisions, and that's important that they were willing to step up that they were willing to go ahead and continue the fight. And I think we'll see that for the rest of the season. And that actually probably, uh, I, I don't know how that's going to work out. I don't know where that's going to go. But I like to see guys who who play with some attitude and who fight when adversity is is at its worst. That's my big takeaway. I'm glad you agree with that. That's right you agree with it. <laughs> so, big surprise. Well, I was going to give my big takeaway first. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. My big takeaway is the rise of the Orange Rush. Welcome to the Orange Rush. And every fan should have this shirt. I get there are some people who don't like the nickname, and I don't get it. I think it's awesome. I think it plays off of the Orange Crush. It's a modern twist on it. And it's what this defense does. But when Bradley Chubb fell to the Denver Broncos, the imagination took over. What the rookie from North Carolina State and Von Miller could do together, as we talked about on this podcast, the possibilities were limitless. We all know how special Miller is, but to add a player on the level of Chubb to the equation, There is a reason the organization, players, coaches, and fans were so excited. The grabbing of Chubb gave rise to the orange rush. I see what you did there. Like that? Clever. I saw that. It was clever. (laughs) And we started to get hints over the course of training camp and, and preseason, but we were left wanting more. And then Miller did his typical Miller thing in week one against the Seattle Seahawks when he got three sacks, two forced fumbles, and a fumble recovery. But we didn't get much from Chubb, half a sack. What it did, though, is make us think it was the start, since it would put the focus on Miller and create more opportunities for Chubb, only again to be left wanting more. Then the impatience crept in. Where is Miller? As you mentioned earlier, I was one of the first people to say, Where is Miller? There were even some who were saying Chubb is a bust, which we both didn't get. We dismissed that. But the last two weeks have finally made what we envisioned in April a reality. Welcome to the Orange Rush. If if that is sustainable, and I think it is, 
to have Von Miller and Bradley Chubb wrecking games the way they have the last two, that's the big takeaway. That's how you win. That's how you create turnovers. That's how you take away one of the weaknesses of your team, the secondary, and make it a strength. There it is. And you know what else it does is it allows Jeff to leave that pin, that pinned tweet on his uh, homepage. Uh, he's just, he was just a month late. Right, he said September. People will be wondering why they let him take Bradley Chubb. It's October. It's okay. It's okay to be a little late. Sometimes predictions take a little longer than we expected. So good for Jeff, I suppose. Good for Jeff. And go to my story on Mile High Report and get the shirt. It's a good shirt, you know. And and you're right. It's I love the fact that as as a fan, you can love the orange crush moniker that the defense had of the seventies and and early eighties. You can love the no fly zone of a few years back because let's face it. They're not really no fly right now. This they're is just one fly. They are, but they, they kind of came yeah, back they did a little bit. A little Chris Harris pick six. Always nice. I love to see well, him I, doing I good things. They, they weren't handing out miles like they have the last couple of they, weeks. They were holding them in a little bit, but it was, it was, Good to see them playing well, which is true. And and the, you're right. It is a modern twist on an old school uh, nickname. And why don't they deserve their own nickname? Why don't they deserve their own moniker? They've, they've certainly earned it. Well, maybe they hadn't earned it yet, but you knew they were going to. And I think that's where we went with that. And you're right. The imagination ran wild. And I, I think it was uh, a very good little touch on that. And so um, it, that's a good takeaway as well. Absolutely. The fact that you, you could see this for the next three, four, five, six seasons if uh, Von Miller stays around for long enough, and who's to say he won't? Maybe he'll keep himself in really good shape. He'll get in one of those little cold chamber things that they do nowadays, all of that stuff. And as I said in the story, if you add in Shaquille Barrett, mm. that almost makes it unfair. And that's okay. Make it unfair. I'm fine with that. Absolutely. Sure, make it Especially unfair. Especially if it happens in Kansas City. Oh, don't tease me. <laughs> Do not tease. It's not cool. So what surprised you the most from this game? I'm going to, this is going to go in a slightly different direction. I think people are going to say, oh, just enjoy it. But I think the the big surprise to me is that even after a huge win like this, there's a little disappointment in there. A little bit. Because heading into this game, the talk was, if they can't win this game, is Vance Joseph fired? And I thought, my opinion was, he was definitely gone if they couldn't beat the Cardinals because, no, this is not the bye week, but it is a mini bye, which gives you the opportunity to bring, you know, get the house in order, so to speak, and have that full week of practice once everything is sort of shaken out and you figure out who's going to take the reins for the rest of the year and who's going to be doing what. And so there's a little disappointment because you know, you know, after that kind of a victory, A, Vance Joseph is still going to be the head coach, and B, it's going to be at least until the bye week and possibly just until the end of the season. Which, you know, I think for most fans, we're ready to move on from the from the Vance Joseph era. And this or is, is an error. Well, that was my error to not say error. And so this just extends that another week, another two weeks, another 
season, perhaps. And that's the issue that that I think uh, people will take away from it. It's a it's a small disappointment, right? I, I'm I would much rather talk about a win than a loss. But it is it did surprise me a little bit the sort of that in the back of my mind that little twinge of yeah, but that means Vance is going to be the head coach for another few weeks at least. It was so interesting you say that because as I was watching the game with my wife, she looked over at me and she was like, you're just going to be a curmudgeon, aren't you? <laughs> False hope. False hope. Uh, no, I and I don't mean to be like that. I really don't. But that that's my big surprise is that, it, that I am, that I, I'm a little disappointed just because I would have been more than happy to have John Elway standing at a podium saying, you know, it's time for us to make a change. Uh, you know, we appreciate all the work that Vance has done for us, but uh, in light of us being incapable of winning any games because he's such a terrible head coach, we're going to go in a different direction. He Is that probably, after he thanks himself? Well, he has to thank himself at least once every press conference. I think that's in his contract. Just once. I'd like to thank John Elway. Okay, any questions? So what was your big surprise? Just how truly putrid and rank the Arizona Cardinals are. I I I I I knew they were a bad football team. I just had no idea how truly bad they really are. I mean, it is it it's it's bad. I mean, I I I it was kind of weird. Because as we were talking prior to the podcast, I had a thought. Remember how you felt when the ball got snapped over Peyton Manning's head in Super Bowl Forty Eight? Yeah, I, I had like the complete. I can. I had the complete opposite feeling when Josh Rosen has to call a timeout on the second play from scrimmage. <laughs> I was like, "This is this is not going to be pretty." And it wasn't. You have to call a timeout on the second play from scrimmage when you know what the first 15 plays are. And then over the course of the next, over the course of like the net, the next quarter and a half, you constantly see Josh Rosen yelling at the sideline to get the play in because it's taking too long. And I was asked today by, by Mace, I was like, so what? What happens to Mike McCoy now? And 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 I said at the end of my answer, I said, if I was a head coach or a head of an organization, I wouldn't trust him to coach anything at this point. So I think he either needs to drop down to college, but I think the more fitting place for him to go right now is high school. Sure, I mean, you know, that works. It is interesting how bad they are. It's like watching Alabama play Sun Valley State, which is a school I just made up. But little sisters of the poor. I don't. I don't care. Pick a pick a name of a, a team that doesn't actually exist, and imagine Alabama playing them. That's kind of what it feels like. And this idea that they are so bad that the Arizona Cardinals are so bad should actually worry us as fans. Because the more you talk about it, the more you talk about just how I mean, rookie quarterback who can't get the who, you know, timeout on the second play because he forgot what the second play was on the script. Like, what's y'all right there, Josh? Uh, you know, the offensive line couldn't block Von Miller and Bradley Chubb if they were sitting down or if they were in wheelchairs. There was 
there were so many things wrong with that Arizona Cardinals team that there's a little bit of that false hope that creeps in. And, and I'm now I'm the curmudgeon. I've turned into the curmudgeon. I, I just can't get excited as, as excited as I'd like to. I'm excited about the win, but I'm going to be a realist about it. They went to Arizona and they played a team that was bad and they beat them just like they should have beaten them. We maybe really didn't learn as much about this team as we thought we did just because of how terrible Arizona is. Just, I mean, just awful. And I think it goes back to what we've been saying from the beginning of the season, that the keys to this football team are running the football and pressuring the quarterback. That hasn't changed. Because what we saw with that creativity on offense from Bill Musgrave is it was, it's all based on the run game. And what the run game does is it allows case Keenum to do what he does well. And that's have efficiency and effectiveness on play action and out of the pocket. So the thing that that gives me fault that that makes me think it's false hope is the fact that Bill Musgrave is still the offensive coordinator because I have no faith that he is going to be able to do what this offense needs and that's to run the football because whether it's deliberate or it's just his stubbornness neither of it speaks well to him or he or he thinks that Case Keenum is Brett Favre uh well he Case Keenum probably is Brett Favre but we're talking about uh Brett Favre with the New York Jets not not Brett Favre with the not even Brett Favre when he was with Minnesota and they went to the playoffs and and had that deep run we're talking Brett Favre with the New York Jets that's more the Case Keenum speed right now and and you're right this is false hope unless they come out against the Chiefs and they do essentially the same thing, which is run to set up the pass, utilize the play action, put the players in a position to be successful. And, and Case Keenum is better in play action and he's better outside the pocket, so they, they need to be doing those things for him. If they don't come out and do that, means they didn't learn anything, which means they're too stupid to learn anything, and they need to be gone. And so really the big test is – can you come off of this victory, which is a huge win? You beat a team 45 to 10 in the NFL. That's a big win. Can they come off of this victory and take the things that they did well and incorporate that into their game plan in the next week? And I question what, just like you do, I question whether or not they have the intelligence to do that. And that starts with Bill Musgrave and his poor play calling. Because everybody knows what Case Keenum does well, except for, apparently, Bill Musgrave. So did he figure it out against Arizona, or did he just luck into it and he's going to mess it up next week? And the same can be said of Vance Joseph. If 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 it's based truly on what we saw on the field, for the first time maybe all year, the Broncos on the field were put in a situation to have success. 
and they succeeded. Granted, it was against a bad opponent, but they were still put in the situation to have success. That's what coaches are supposed to do. Now, can they do it a week from Sunday in Kansas City? That's the test. That's how we'll know if it's a mirage or if this is tangible. Is it is it fair for us to judge them off of a, a road game in Kansas City against a team like the Chiefs that are playing as well as they are, at least on the offensive side of the football? Absolutely it is. Because that's how you that's how you weigh and judge what you are as a team. I mean, Ric Flair constantly said it. If you want to be the best, you have to beat the best. And right now, the Chiefs are the best. So take what you did on the road in Arizona. It's only the second road win in Vance Joseph's tenure with the Broncos. Take that confidence. Have Von Miller come out again leading up to the Chiefs game. Have him come out and say, we're going to kick their ass. Make this a repeated thing going forward now because the team responded. Maybe that's what did it. Maybe they didn't respond to what Vance Joseph or Bill Musgrave or Joe Woods said. Maybe they responded to to Von Miller having the huevos to say what he did. Now, as Patrick Waugh would say, put your balls on the table and say it before the Chiefs game. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that one. I do think that their performance, at least motivationally, was more about what Von Miller did than what any of the coaches did. It was more about him coming out, and and really, he puts himself out there, right? Von Miller goes out of his way and makes a statement that is so not Von Miller, because Von Miller's statements are always, yeah, they're a very good team. Uh, I expected him to say of Josh Rosen, one of the best quarterbacks uh, we're going to face. He's a rookie, but he's really mature. Uh, you know, they got Larry Fitzgerald. I love Larry Fitzgerald and how, how good he is, blah, 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 blah. That's that's your Von Miller quote. But instead he came out and he, and he said what he said about kicking their ass. You have to take notice. As a player on that defense, you have to take notice. As a player on the offense, you have to take notice. And so the motivation didn't come from the coaches. The motivation came from their leader, who is Von Miller, who came out and said, we are going to do this. And then he led on the field by example, just as much as he led with his mouth in the press conference. He put that team on his shoulders, and he wrecked the game. And it was something we've been waiting for for four weeks. And it finally happened. It happened against a really, really bad team. But it finally happened. And it was a joy to watch. And now can they repeat it? Can they go out and do it again? And are they willing to put their necks on the line and say, we're going to beat this team? And this team isn't the Arizona Cardinals who couldn't beat Alabama. This is the Kansas City Chiefs who are, for some people, a favorite to make it to the Super Bowl. And and we, we get a week and a half to talk about it because they played on Thursday night instead of on Sunday. And I think what's interesting, we talked about the games that we'll watch on the prior podcast, what games stick out from the schedule. Mm -hmm. What this does, though, is it will make 
that game on Sunday night between the, the Bengals and the Chiefs, pay attention to what the Bengals do and or don't do. Yeah, it, it, it will um, – it increases the intrigue. You know, it makes it so that that game has more importance than it did before. If the Broncos had lost to the Cardinals, whatever, the season's a throwaway season anyway, move on. But with that victory, you know that you need to watch what happens between Kansas City and Cincinnati because those are two very good teams. And what can you learn from watching that game? I guarantee the Broncos are going to be paying attention and – I will be too, because that makes that game that much more exciting. Well, also because they play both teams. That's true. Yeah, actually, my wife the other day asked me if I wanted to go see the Broncos in Cincinnati. Do you want to get tickets to go see the Broncos in Cincinnati? Almost fell out of my chair when she asked me that. So we might be in Cincinnati for that one. I don't know. We're looking into it. That'd be awesome. Yeah, it's probably not going to happen. We're busy people, but... We're, we're, we're checking it out. We're looking at schedules. We're seeing what we can make happen. That's all you can do? Yeah, that's all we can do. All right. Oh, a win. I don't. I mean, I almost don't even know how to end off of a win. Did, do we do anything else now? Just savor it for a couple of days. Enjoy having a weekend free. And F-U-K-C. F-U-K-C. I like it. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.